The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. U.S. stocks dip with the Dow breaking a five-day winning streak as U.S. retail sales come in soft, driven by a dip in car demands. Walmart and Home Depot both report falling same-store sales, but post quarterly numbers that beat expectations. Home Depot shares plunge, though, as the DIY trend eases. New Zealand's central bank are holding fire, keeping rates steady and stepping back from what was widely expected to be the region's first pandemic-era rate hike, as the country confirms its first COVID outbreak in six months. Plus, the evacuation from Afghanistan continues, with countries committing to take in refugees, uh, whilst the EU says it has no plans to recognise the Taliban, but will engage in order to prevent a humanitarian crisis. We have to get in touch with the authorities in Kabul. The authorities in Kabul, wherever they, they are, the Taliban have won the war. So we will have to talk with them. Good morning, everyone. Let's take a look at this uh, big retail sales number. I'm not sure why the team put it in purple, but perhaps that suggests some form of pent-up frustration. And if you think about it through the lens of the Americans, they have been talking about revenge spending. And I think you can see very evidently from this chart just how strong the pace has been, but with uh, some fairly sharp pullbacks when they have occurred. Now, the latest U.S. retail sales sharply missed expectations in July, falling 1.1% over the month. Concerns over the spread of the Delta variant weighed on consumer demand, while government stimulus checks dried up. A drop of almost 4% in auto sales drove the decline, along with clothing and sporting goods. But key categories of the market was fairly mindful of uh, with a reversal. And we have been talking at nauseam, in fact, about this switchover between consumers buying products to spending more on leisure and uh, service activities such as, uh, you know, going out, going on holidays. So that transition of consumer spending, well and truly noted, and you can see it now in the data. That said, these markets have been ripe for a pullback. We've had a fairly heady pace, record after record, as we continue to bounce into positive territory. And there's been a defensive tilt to the market at ETFs, showing us that uh, defensive assets uh, on the stock market have been where investors have been pouring their money into. And a fairly heady pace, too, if you look at the amount of money that's gone into these sectors in the month of July, $5 billion. Uh, dollars worth of net inflows into areas like healthcare, consumer staples, utilities. So you get a piece of data uh, like we've had yesterday and also topped off by consumer sentiment surveys. And what do you get on the market? You get a reversal. So perhaps we were just primed for some pullback to occur. A uh, five-day winning streak was snapped for the Dow and for the S&P. These are the markets that have been tracking around records. And you can see it was a similar percentage a drop across the board. Home Depot, we mentioned the earnings that crossed a, a terrific report card. But just showing you some of the correction in the pandemic trends, that was the most negative stock for the Dow. And when it came to the S&P, it was Amazon. Nine-tenths down for the Nasdaq. Uh, Amazon also having an impact, too, on that index. 
a look at Treasuries. We did pull back on the, the uh, US retail sales print. And you can see, though, this morning's session, we've popped higher again. We've managed to pick up a couple of basis points in 1.27, where we are perched on that percentage. The VIX, the fear gauge, let's take a look at what it's showing us. You can see uh, 17.9, where we are perched. Uh, we have lifted an element, uh, 11 odd percent. Uh, that is pickup and what we're witnessing. But again, we get a sell off and then the VIX picks up. We've had the market bouncing around records and there's been not a lot of activity on the VIX. US futures, the only indications ahead for the Wall Street session, though, do not suggest more selling pain this morning. If anything, a very stable, calm outlook for the session. Modestly firm indications uh, right across the board for the major markets this morning. I think there's a lot to dissect in the data, and Karen and I can do some work on the home builders stuff after the break. I, you do need to listen to that issue, by the way. But Walmart beat expectations on top and bottom line in second quarter earnings. Kay and I were talking about this yesterday. Uh, as the retail giant was boosted by strong grocery sales, the CFO is Brett Briggs and said the company also had a strong start to the back-to-school season. Are they back to school already? Wow. Uh, meanwhile, Home Depot shares closed sharply lower after the Home Improvement Group reported a drop in same-store sales for the first time in almost two years. Uh, the group did not give a full-year outlook. Well, our colleague Courtney Reagan filed this report on the two U.S. retailers. Two Dow components beating on both earnings and revenue, though Walmart's comparable sales did come in better than expected, while Home Depot's disappointed. Walmart's U.S. comparable sales grew more than 5%, with a 6% growth in transactions. This quarter, stores led the way, with store traffic continuing to grow. Walmart's U.S. net e-commerce grew just 6%, a much smaller increase than investors are used to. The same quarter last year, saw U.S. net e-commerce sales grow 97%. The retailer now expecting global e-commerce to hit $75 billion this year. And that's just its own goods. That's not counting any of the sales from the marketplace. Walmart did put up its third biggest quarterly revenue ever and the highest non-holiday quarterly revenue of all time. It also raised its earnings guidance as well as its guidance for revenue and comparable sales. Chief Financial Officer Brett Biggs says that the third quarter is off to a good start with a, quote, really good start for back to school. Still, Walmart shares ending about flat for the session. Home Depot's comparable sales did improve a 4.5% total, up 3.4% in the U.S., and that's growth on top of a 25% growth for the same quarter last year. Still, both of the second quarter's results did fall below the street's expectations. The home improvement sector has been a huge beneficiary of the pandemic as consumers worked on their homes that we all spent so much time in. Plus, Home Depot was considered essential and never had to close. But do-it-yourselfers did less work this quarter than in previous quarters, and the professionals outpaced the DIYers for the second straight quarter, according to Home Depot executives. Kitchen and bath, along with lumber, were the strongest categories, but paint, hardware, indoor and outdoor garden sales fell, along with total transactions, which were down about 6%. The average checkout was 11% higher, but inflation boosted those sales by about 
420 basis points, according to Home Depot President Ted Decker. Home Depot shares down around 4%, which is not uncommon for the retailer. In fact, Home Depot hasn't traded higher after an earnings report in more than two years. Courtney Reagan, CNBC Business News. Shares in fellow DIY retailer Lowe's also fell sharply on Tuesday, ahead of their earnings later. Our U.S. colleagues will speak to Lowe's CEO Marvin Ellison. That interview is coming away later on today at 1200 CET. Now, the retail theme will continue when Target Chairman and CEO Brian Cornell sits down for an exclusive interview with our colleagues. That is coming up at 12.45 CET. Just circling back to Walmart, uh, clearly a line in the sector and the numbers are well and truly dissected as a result. And what you had, uh, a couple of upgrades. Uh, this is the, the second upgrade uh, in three months. So clearly the business is seeing something, but it is a transition again. I mean, we've had uh, first up groceries, then people buying other stay-at-home items. And then as we open up again now, we've got travel-related products front and centre at Walmart, but also the return to school in September. People buying stuff they haven't had to think about for a while. School shoes, for instance. I know that when there's been hybrid or work from home, you haven't needed as much of this product. But also same too for school. If you have had kids studying from home, you haven't had to buy the school shoes, the backpack, go new lunch boxes, and sometimes even stationery because a lot is of the work is conducted on a electronic device. So these purchases very much coming back to the fore and of course uniforms as well. Uh, the other point here, Stephen, I thought it was interesting. A lot of people have been fueled in the consumption habits by uh, what you've had with this stimulus check. There's still a child tax credit payment that has also begun over some and that's given some parents extra money. But there are also reports that this time around with back to school purchases, a lot of parents are actually struggling to afford to pay for them. Uh, the most expensive uh, area, the hardest area to cover has been hybrid apparently, not in person or stay at home. It's both where you have to gear up for uh, various different learning scenarios depending on COVID restrictions, Steve. Yeah, I, I think all of your analysis, Karen, is absolutely spot on. I, I, it's impossible to disagree with what you're saying. But, but, but what I do believe, though, is you're, you're almost going into... It's almost far more simplistic, if I may say, in some ways. It's like consumer has vast amount of monies. Uh, retailers are struggling to satiate uh, said demand as well. And I see it across the board. And I, and I admire you going into the dissecting the different parts, whether it's work from home or whether it's back to school, whether it's some hybrid or whether it's um, back to the office or autos or whatever it may be. I just think that the consumer is in a stunningly strong position. Many places around the world, they, they're still pent up as well. I see it every time I go out anywhere that people are desperate to spend money, desperate for a, a degree of normality as well. And I, and I think the, the, the dent in this, and you said it when you were talking about those car sales, Karen, you said well, they were nearly 4% lower down 3.9%. Now, was that A, because the consumers don't like buying new cars, or B, they don't like the prices of new cars, or was it actually C, which is definitely the case, that the auto manufacturers cannot satiate the demand? So the actual dent to these figures this time around wasn't because the consumer is struggling or is fed up with paying top dollar prices or whatever it may be. It's because they can't get hold of the product. And that is a whole different problem for the retailers, for those analysing the economy, and of course, the ultimate analysing the economy 
economy, which is the Federal Reserve as well, because it is the lack of ability to satiate demand. And we'll talk about this a little bit later on with another sector as well, that I think is causing the problem on that figure as well that we saw with the 1.1% handle on retail sales. Were it not for the fact that product getting to market is a struggle at the moment all round, and I see it in my daily life, I see it in, dare I say it, the purchases I'm trying to make as well, I see it in my driveway being rebuilt as well. The problem with getting product as well, the problem with getting employees to get that product to market, I think that's the problem. I think retail sales in the US consumer are in absolutely fine fettle. I think consumer behaviour, Steve, has always been a very important factor when it comes to consumption and the retail environment. And this time round, it's just hard to jump one way and try to catch up with what the consumer is doing. And you think of it through the lens of what uh, American shoppers love best. They love the experience. Going in store into some of those mega chains in the United States is a different experience to what it is elsewhere. Uh, American marketers work very hard on bringing those shoppers in store. And I thought it was fascinating. If you look at the online sales at Walmart, don't Again, this is meant to be the growth area of the business when we talk about retail. Those online stores slowed dramatically. They're up 6%. Um, that was versus 37% in the first quarter. So you are seeing the natural slowing as people revert back to going out and physically shopping again. The question is, if you're an analyst in the sector, how much of these strains do you draw across to? other international markets because the American shopper is quite unique in many ways. So I, I just wonder whether there's any signaling function. And, and why we're talking about this, it's incredibly important if you think about the huge amount of investments the sector has made into digital platforms, thinking that online shopping is the future. I think at this point, it's hard to say just how many of those habits will remain intact once you get a full opening up and when those COVID fears start to abate, Steve. Yeah, all of the above, and uh, I, I dread to think how how voracious you are on the high street at the moment, Karen. One of my my the greatest shoppers of all time, as far as I know. Uh, let let us move on. <laughs> There's other great data out there, and I do want to get to this home builder data as well. I think it's fascinating. Uh, U.S. manufacturing output easily topped estimates in July. Here you go. Here's my point. As car factory activity accelerated over the month, they're just trying to make as many as they can. It comes as automakers reduced or cancelled their annual retooling shutdowns in a bid to work around the global chip crunch. Uh, and again, it's exactly the same point as we were just raising. Now, come to this. Home builder sentiment in the US has fallen to a 13-month low. Wow, big dramatic figure. That's not quite what you think it is. Uh, as construction workers deal with rising raw material prices alongside a shortage of the aforementioned skilled labour. It comes as lumber fell almost 3% in Tuesday's trade to hit its lowest point since July 2020. Diana Olick filed this report on the latest data. The issue for home builders right now is rising costs for materials, which then means higher prices for homes and sticker shock for home buyers. So builder sentiment dropped to the lowest reading in just over a year. The index's three components, though, are telling. Current sales conditions fell five points to 81, and buyer traffic of prospective buyers also fell five points to 60. But sales expectations in the next six months unchanged at 81. And that last one is probably because builders know demand is still high. The trouble, though, is cost. The price of lumber has come down dramatically, down over 72% from its peak in May. Still, price and availability of other building materials remains a challenge. That includes flooring, drywall, appliances, and windows. So as a result, new home prices are way up. 
just about 56% of new and existing homes sold in the second quarter were affordable to families earning the U.S. median income. That's down sharply from the first quarter when just over 63% of homes were affordable. It's also the lowest affordability level since the beginning of the NAHB's revised series that started in 2012. And you can even see it in the mortgage numbers. Mortgage applications to buy a newly built home were down over 27% in July from a year ago. I'm Diana Olick, CNBC. So, so Diana's encapsulated a lot of the points. And I hope everyone was listening there. But, 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 but there were some su subtleties in there, wasn't it? For instance, the northeast of the United States still at a four-month high. But let's even if we weren't looking at the nuances, look at the headline figure and what does it mean? A 13-month low. It was still at 75, down from 80 in the previous. Now, bearing in mind, 50 is the mark of, of favorability rather than contract, contraction or, or, or concern about it. We are still 25 basis points above that level as well. So then I started doing a little bit of work uh, on, on the longer term trends in the NAHB. And first of all, on the NAHB website, I saw that actually we're still pottering along at our recent highs. But then I looked at a chart and I went back to the 90s. Uh, and actually, the level we are at now is still, from what I can see, pretty much at its highest level since 2010, no, further, 2005, no, uh, dot-com bubble, further. You basically have to go back to the late 90s in order to find uh, a period where the NAHB survey uh, was higher than it is now. So the, the bullions is still there. The thing that's holding back their sentiment is what Diana alluded to there, and what I said in my read there is, there is a shortage of plots. Despite the lumber decline in price, which I think is a product of a very volatile, uh, closely traded product as much as anything else as well, despite that, a whole host of other raw materials which you need to build a house are, are absolutely at sky high, uh, record prices in many cases. And, and see, the third point is, as I alluded to uh, in industrial production about the autos, you cannot get hold of the skilled laborers at the price you want to get hold of those skilled laborers. So whilst the NAHB headline 13 month low looks rather dramatic, if you look at the history, which I suggest our viewers do as well, you see actually it's still very, very high. And B, people still want to buy houses in their droves. The problem is the affordability because we have seen some of the largest increases in house prices in the United States in history. So I think actually the house market in the States, if they can sort out their shortages and supply issues, is actually in very strong position. Steve, I do agree. The level of uh, expectations on the index is just incredible to see how high it has been. But, you know, we've had the speed bump warning signals there for many months uh, that we're seeing the shortage in uh, some materials and, and wages uh, that are going up. It's a handbrake on what we're seeing in the sector, lumber prices. I mean, you put it all together and we, we've been talking about this for many months. We're just now seeing reflected in the data and there had been warnings about demand for permits falling. But if you look ahead, if we put it together with the retail sales print, it does feel as though we're still seeing an economy supported from both of these drivers, from the retail consumption side, but also from the home building side. And the expectations from this NAHB survey is effectively that single family home sales expectations in the next six months were steady at a reading of 81 in August. I mean, that does signal still support for the new home building market. And uh, if you think about uh, some improvement in confidence, if people feel that they are secure in their jobs, you've got to say there will be demand coming through from those wanting new uh, homes being built in certain areas of the United States, Steve. Yeah, uh, all of the above, Karen. And look, let's take this back to uh, Fed's Powell, who was talking to his students on a virtual conference last night. And he said COVID is still with us. And that is the big caveat, isn't it? That is the big 
reason why they're not even going anywhere near the trigger uh, on interest rate moves, let alone when the tapering debate goes on. And we'll find out more about that from Jackson Hole, hopefully, in Wyoming in the next week or so as well. But the fact that COVID is still with us and you've got rising cases in a whole host of states, uh, many of them uh, down in the south as well, is why the Fed is looking at this in a slightly different way as well. Plus the fact that they are sticking to their mantra about the transient base effects kind of nature of this inflation we're seeing at the moment. All we are doing and, and asking the question and, and you know, policymakers and certain economists, oh, that's rubbish. And we'll have Paul Donovan on later on as well. Say, oh, there is no real inflation as well. All I can say is what I'm seeing, both anecdotally and in the evidence as well. And with, yeah, dare I say, on this side of the Atlantic, when you see a seven handle on average hourly earnings, i.e. a 7% increase in wages in the United Kingdom as well, Far bit for me to say that's transitory, far bit for me to say it's permanent. I'm just asking the question, do we need to think that it might be a little bit more of the latter rather than just the former? Steve, it sets the scene for our next story as we talk about uh, the role of monetary policy amid COVID. And coming up on the show, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand defies forecasts for a rate hike as the Pacific nation faces its first COVID outbreak in six months. Oh, yeah, plus it's me. I was just looking at next week. Uh, and for more on this week's uh, key US retail earnings and data, check out the Squawkbox podcast. You might even have me going, oh, yes, I'm on camera. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Uh, Welcome back. Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari has said it could be reasonable to taper Fed support this year, whilst reiterating the decision is ultimately data dependent. That's as the Fed Chair Jerome Powell told an audience of educators uh, and students uh, that the pandemic is still, quote, casting a shadow on the economy, Karen. The RBNZ has stepped back from what was widely expected to be Asia-Pacific's first pandemic-era rate hike amid the country's first COVID outbreak in six months. New Zealand's central bank kept rates on hold at a record low of 0.25%, defying recent forecasts for a hike of as much as 50 basis points. Let's get out to Will for more. Will, we've got the uh, Kiwis blaming Australia for the transmission of COVID, the outbreak that they're witnessing in Auckland. Now the Reserve Bank is holding back on that rate hike. Just walk us through the developments. Yeah, it's a really interesting situation and it could potentially get worse in New Zealand, it has to be said. So they've got seven cases of the Delta variant already. We heard from the the Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, and the the Chief Medical Officer there, Ashley Bloomfield, and they're basically suggesting we could, or there already potentially is, 50 to 120 cases in the community. So they're trying to trace or track down those potential cases because of the implications when it does come to their zero COVID strategy. We know New Zealand's been locked down or is going to be locked down for three days total. Auckland for seven days. Auckland is obviously the engine of their economy there, 40% of their GDP. So it's incredibly important moving forward. And 
they're tipping, I suppose, that the cost of the lockdown, just this three and seven day lockdowns could be around about $1.5 billion. Now, the RBNZ, the reason why this is important is, like you mentioned, they were widely expected to begin hiking rates, perhaps upwards of 25 to 50 basis points, but they used the alert level for lockdowns as their rationale for not hiking this time. And that actually sent the New Zealand dollar into an absolute tailspin at the initial point of that news. But basically, as the market realized that when you look at their hiking structure moving forward or their forward estimates on hiking, for example, in the May OCR, they had by N22 at 0.7% their expectations of rates. Now they've updated that to 1.6%. So it's incredibly reflective that they are intending to hike. It's just on this particular occasion, they're holding, I suppose, steady and waiting to see whether or not the situation when it does come to New Zealand develops. I actually saw one pretty poignant quote from an RBC Capital Markets economist. He's basically calling it a stay of execution because much like what Steve was mentioning about the United States, New Zealand has incredibly overheated conditions when it comes to the housing market. We've seen absolutely record house prices across the board over the last 12 to 18 months there. They've been trying to get on supply even the government in the last budget was really pushing a lot more resources into building out further supply for the Maori, but also for the general public as a whole. They've had to add the macroprudential settings to the remit of the central bank to try and get them to push the prices down. That's what the RBNZ governor, Adrian Orr, was talking about today as well. And then at the same time, you've got a situation where your unemployment rate in New Zealand is at 4%, which is way more full, I suppose, than actual full employment. So they're, they're overemployed. They don't have enough labor for their key key industries. And at the same time, there are like capacity constraints. So they're going to have to do something, guys, when it does come to hiking. This time, obviously, because of the COVID situation, but the governor made it abundantly clear that the hikes are coming. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.